This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Good evening, folks. Welcome to AA Live Radio Show. This is the show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous program. I am Jan, and I would like to really warmly welcome my co-hosts tonight too. There's Tony and Chrissy. Hi, guys. How are you? G'day, Jan. Good, thanks. How are you, Chrissy? Yeah, I'm great today. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, excellent. It's really lovely to have you here. I was thinking today we would open with the Serenity Prayer. What do you guys think? Let's go for it, shall we? Yeah, good idea. Okay. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Tony, I'm going to hand it to you. Sure, okay. So, well, thanks, Jen. Let me just run through our preamble, which basically um, uh, tells us what AA is and what AA isn't. Uh, So... Alco- sorry, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. It does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And it's just, yeah, um, yeah, so that's basically uh, just sharing about the scope of what AA is. So hopefully that's helpful to our listeners out there, Jen. That certainly helped me. Thank you, Tony. Wonderful. Chrissy, your go. Ding. <laughs> um, anything you hear on this radio show um, are our opinions and not necessarily that of AA as a whole. So if you're listening to something and you think, oh gosh, that doesn't sound right, or I disagree with that, then feel free. You know, they're just that, our opinions, and not necessarily um, AA. The next um, thing we're going to do is have a spirit lifter. And this is called Shortcomings Removed. This is a reading from the Daily Reflections that AA um, have put out in a book. And a lot of us that are in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, we use this as um, every day as a tool to helping us um, keep sober. And the good thing about the book is that it's it goes through um, the readings in conjunction with the steps. Anyway, yeah, this one's called Shortcomings Removed. But now the words, of myself I am nothing, the Father doeth the works, began to carry bright promise and meaning. When I put the seventh step into action, I must remember that there are no blanks to fill in. It doesn't say, humbly asked him to fill in the blank, remove our shortcomings. For years I filled in the imaginary blank with help me, Give me the courage to. 
and give me the strength, etc. The set says simply that God will remove my shortcomings. The only footwork I must do is humbly ask, which for me means not asking with the knowledge that of myself I am nothing. The Father within doeth the works. Thank you, Chrissy. That has a lot of meaning behind it today, doesn't it, folks? Goodness me. I think that was a rather good reading. Thank you. Hey, uh, how's everybody going out there? I hope you're all uh, coping well and COVID isn't getting you and disturbing you and and um, families are safe and well out there. It's a funny time we live in. I was thinking about it this morning and how lucky we are here in New Zealand. And I uh, just wanted to say... We're, we're thinking of you folks out there in the rest of the world. Thankfully, Wellington is out of their lockdown, so that's a nice thing. But yeah, your thoughts, well, you're in our thoughts, that's what I wanted to say. Tony, would you like to do the reading for us today? Sure, thanks, Jen. Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to do a little reading from Chapter 11. This is out of our big book uh, called Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, this is the main text of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and it's called A Vision for You. And you can find that um, on page 151. For most uh, normal folks, drinking means conviviality and companionship and colourful imagination. It means release, release from care, boredom and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. But not so with us in the last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, but a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society and life itself. We became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of its mad realm, the chilling vapour of the the chilling vapour that is loneliness settled down and thickened and became even blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places hoping to find understanding and companionship and approval. Momentarily we did, and then would come oblivion and that awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Now and then, a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work better, have a better time. As an ex-problem drinker, we smile at such a sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. And then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. We have shown how we have got from under. Yes, yes, yes you say I am willing, but I am to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring and glum, like some of the righteous people I see. <laughs> I know that I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is the Fellowship Alcoholics Anonymous, where you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. 
your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. And thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. Lovely. Thank you, Tony. I really enjoy that part of the book. It's a, I could not have imagined living without alcohol in my life. Could you, Chrissy? Not really. Oh, it had become such a position of comfort for me. Um, the first thing I was worried about was, and I gave up on January the 4th, I went immediately to, what am I going to do on my birthday? Well, what am I going to do at Christmas? Mm. You know, until somebody said to me, can you do it one day at a time? And I went, I can do that. Yeah, so that was my initial thing. Mm. What about you, Tony? Yeah, I got to that place where I couldn't live with it, I couldn't live without it. I, uh, Some of the first things that would happen to me when I tried to put it down in times of remorse um, were that I couldn't sleep. So after three days, I would hit the bottle again just to get some sleep and try and trying to function you know I was still working I wasn't you know um, unemployed or anything um, and by the third day of not sleeping it was just I needed sleep so I, I would go back to the bottle and um, and do that uh, you know um, when when I was drinking I got sick and what I and the terrible thing was when I stopped drinking I got sick mm. you know it, there seemed to be no way out Um you know, um, but of, of course there is, um, you know, um, and I got to a place where I had to face the things that I, I no matter what, I had to face these things, come what may. Mm. And uh, I, I'm here to say, you know, that the, there's sun on the sunshine on the other side of the mountain. So, Absolutely, you know, I have yeah, to agree. It's, it's a terrible place for people who realise that they're trapped, you know, it really is. I had so many arguments with myself <laughs> on, a, on a, the next morning <laughs> going, I must stop, I must stop. But how could I live? What would I do? What, how could I not have a drink? And it, yeah, I, I argued like that for years. Well, I, I, I used to, there was a, a, a weird, strange cycle of, of drinking. Like, I, I would... I would have alcohol in the fridge and go, right, I'm just going to finish this off and no more tomorrow. And then I'd wake up and I might not remember what I'd even eaten for tea. I didn't have to go out and party. It might have been just sitting and watching TV, not remembering what happened the night before. Um, waking up the next morning and feeling a little off. And by the end of the day, I go, oh, right, I'm not going to drink. And then realising this little quirk in my thoughts would say, oh, there's there's only a little bit of alcohol in the fridge. If I finish, that's not enough. So I went and I'd buy some more. And this cycle just continued day after day after day where I, I I ran out. I was going to run out and what a terrible thing. And so I'd buy more. And so the fridge never emptied itself out. It, it, it was just a bizarre cycle that carried on and on and on. And, um, See, I was very deceitful. My one in the fridge always had a, a level in it. It was the one in the cupboard that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We've got folks. We've got all sorts of tricks to hide and uh, keep drinking. Uh, you know, absolutely. <laughs> right. I think we should ha- have a bit of music. Uh, Chrissy has chosen something pretty cool today by Nina Cherry. I've got you under my skin, and let's go with that, shall we? To make sure they put out a helping hand. Nana Cherry know the story, so it must be told. About a group of people let in the cold. Caught by a plate, slowly they fade from 
and immune deficiency, you see core AIDS. No knowledge of the fact, kept in the dark. Skulls my soul and it hurts my heart. The young and elderly just running blind. Hurts so bad, it denied their own kind. Papa turn around and say, that ain't mine. And it just made it worse for life on the line. And it's a shame to see a little child mature. Growing up knowing that there ain't no cure.
Well, that was a nice bit of raunchy for the evening. Thank you, Chrissy. That was great. Now, you're listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. I'd like to introduce next a, a story from one of our friends in the fellowship, uh, Steve. He's, he's going to tell us a little bit about his drinking journey and relapse and, and uh yeah, his journey. He's a great person. I think you'll enjoy this little little uh, interview that Tony did with, with him. Thank you. Well, hi, I'm Steve, and I am an alcoholic. The, just that phrase in itself carries so much weight for me because um, my journey to sobriety has been up and down, and I'm sure I'm not the only person, <laughs> at least I hope not, that uh, it's had it that way. I started in AA 22 years ago, and I am on what I believe is my sixth recovery now. And uh, this has been by far the, the, most, the most amazing one, the most complete, and it's all because of acceptance on my part. That and, of course, the Dunedin Fellowship here in AA, which is unbelievable and I know that because I've been to AA all over the world all over the world in languages I don't even understand um, but you know you can you can feel it just the same um, a little bit of background I'm I'm a professional musician and I've been one my entire life which is amazing in itself because most people don't make a living doing that um, that as well as being a, um, a studio owner, record label owner, and an audio engineer and producer. So, ooh, that sounds exciting. Well, if you look at it from the uh, from the standpoint of the prevalence of alcoholism, it's not as exciting. <laughs> um, born and raised in Los Angeles as a musician. Notice I didn't say I grew up in Los Angeles because if you're born and raised as a musician in L.A., you don't actually grow up. Uh, we're still waiting for that to happen. It's, it's just started. I promise. It's just started. <laughs> um, so came from a musical family, um, had famous relatives in the business, um, and it was between professional sports being baseball and music, and I chose music very early on. Um, that led to quite a long time of having a hedonistic approach to life. I was just there to enjoy everything because everything enjoyable was just laid at my feet. I, I did get the idea that this was what life was going to be like. This is how life worked. Um, everybody gives me everything, even if I'm doing the wrong things to be given those. Um, I, <laughs> I have a very apt title for a autobiography memoir that nobody will ever read, coming soon to a wastebasket near you. Um, <laughs> but it does encapsulate the whole life in, in one little phrase. It's rewarded for bad behavior. Yeah. Um, as a rock musician in the 70s and 80s and in you know, 
performing into the 90s. I've toured the world three or four times. And, uh, uh, yeah, the the lifestyle, the job description, so to speak, uh, virtually mandated you having fairly bad behavior, you know, um, overindulging in everything. Uh if you were a little bit irreverent, well, a lot irreverent would get you paid even more, get you more attention. Um, if you uh, if you drank a lot, well, drinking even more would get your name in the papers. <laughs> and apparently, there is no bad publicity. That's in hindsight, I, I dispute that. But at the time, yeah, sure. Well, good, you got your name in the paper for knocking over a table in a fine restaurant, or yeah. but. These uh, these tendencies really stunted, if not stopped, emotional maturity, um, growing up to be a responsible adult, a functioning member of society. Those all got pushed by the wayside. Um, I was never a physically abusive person. I was always actually quite nice, and I was the kind of drinker that uh, – I was the happy drunk, and my tolerance was high, and I could still do my jobs to an exceptional level drunk. That was – in hindsight, it was a very bad thing. It's like, oh, well, if you're a functioning alcoholic, you can continue to be – guess what? A functioning alcoholic. In the short term, that was a good thing because I didn't lose my job or, or disgrace myself every day. Um, uh, in the long term, it was horrible because it allowed me just to continue getting worse as an alcoholic. Then came a a point in time very far into it. This would be my early 40s where um, – I started to metabolize alcohol differently. My body had a different reaction to the intake of alcohol. And I went from that, give him another drink, he'll make you laugh even more guy, uh, to the one that uh, would occasionally say some mean and hurtful things. Um, to the one that started to have, ah, the dreaded blackout. I don't exactly remember how I got home, where am I type of thing. It uh, happened almost overnight. Uh, it, it really was. This one day I was the happy guy, and the next day I was something different. And I stayed that negative something different. From that time, it was actually seven years of putting my wife and family through hell before I accepted that fact and started to deal with it. I'd... Uh, I, I had liked to think I was a fairly intelligent guy. And when I started off uh, in my, my drinking and all of that, I really felt I knew better. You know, I, I could control this. I could manage this. Sound familiar, anybody? Yeah. And, um, oh, it was so long into it before I found out I was wrong. If I were to quantify the the question we all get asked is, so what do you think alcohol's done to you? What's the cost been? And they're not talking about financial. What's the cost to your life been? 
I, I have a unique um, viewpoint and an area I can quantify that and I can actually give it a number. When I started my drinking, um, I had just had an IQ test done. I was only 18 years old and um, I was fairly high. It was, it was uh, And two years ago, after having uh, spent time with the psychiatrists and psychologists, I had a, a very intensive psychological workup profile done. And that included, lo and behold, another IQ test, which came 30 points lower. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So there's a, there's a number you can put to the cost. Mm. I mean, my IQ went down by 30 points. Mm. Ooh. I'm glad it started high enough. But um, so that was a very sobering effect. And it's one of the great things that uh, helped lead to actually accepting the facts and using the tools. But I think the important um, part I had to realize from early on was that I had um, no knowledge or or uh, verification of many of the things that lead somebody to be an alcoholic. I did not come from an alcoholic family at all. I didn't come from they, – they didn't even smoke. Uh, um, and I had the model American – you know, upper middle class, perfect, you know, leave it to beaver upbringing. <laughs> uh, um, I, I am adopted and felt loved and cared for my entire time. So for me, the drinking was a choice. It was a choice. Um, and it wasn't that I drank like a gentleman. I might have started that way. because, uh, But I didn't want to drink beer. I didn't like the taste. I didn't want to drink wine. I had to drink too much of it. I literally drank to get drunk. I enjoyed the sensation. I enjoyed the feeling. Um, and again, here was a lot of the rewarded for bad behavior. It was allowed to continue because it was more than accepted in my profession. Mm. So strange set of circumstances leading to the exact same place we all come to. If we're listening to this show, it's, well, it's because we're alcoholics and we're in recovery. And uh, we have that desire to stop drinking. There have been so many advances and setbacks, advances, setbacks, which um, I don't like to look at as a setback, really, because every single one of my recoveries has been a learning experience, and I learned a little more each time. What's amazing is that if I was intelligent, I would have taken the program a lot earlier, wouldn't I? So maybe I'm just not as smart as I gave myself credit for, and that in itself was another part of the ego getting in my way. Um, and that's been that's been pretty much the story. I'll t- I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll save some of it for just a moment. Folks, we're going to break that up a little bit now, and we're going to have some BGs. Tony's pick for the evening: a bit of tragedy. Thank you, Tony. <laughs>
Oh, that was fantastic. I love the Bee Gees. Yeah, we were just discussing here in the in the studio, folks, that uh, how that one was one that used to get danced around to uh, on a drunken evening in the kitchen, especially for me. And then we were rattling off a whole lot of songs that we were doing, we would dance to. It's a bit of a... Yes, a few stories coming out there. Now, we're going to get to the uh, rest of Steve's uh, story. I hope you're enjoying that. Enjoy. I'd like to say I realized I had a problem and came in and started all this on my own. No, it was actually strongly recommended by the state of California that I not drink and drive anymore. (laughs) That didn't happen until I was, um, I believe it was in my late 30s, maybe 40 years old, uh, that I got my first drink-drive charge. And um, I thought I was immune. No, I... How many times did you drive drunk? Just the one I got caught on, right? No, no. Not how many times did you get caught? How many times did you drive? Well, how many days are there in a year? Times? Okay, the math gets staggering. Um, But I didn't get it the first time. I was required to go to um, AA meetings, a whopping two a week. Um, And um, once every two weeks had a group counseling session. To me, that was nothing more than a little slap on the wrist. I, I did not embrace it. I did not get it. I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't really learn anything. Um, I referred to it as a life annoyance. Within the three months it was done, I drank all through it. Uh, okay. Well, a couple of years later, I got my second drink drive. And this, instead of a life annoyance, became a life interruption because they take your license for a year. Completely different from my normal character of rewarded for bad behavior, I didn't do what most people do and continue to drive and hope I didn't get caught. I actually didn't drive. Okay, well, to my uh, logical thinking, which... uh, wasn't really very logical, that meant that my, my... lovely wife would take me to work and one of the people from work would drive me back but of course I worked different places different hours all the time so this wasn't easy but what it did mean was if I wasn't going to drive I could drink brilliant Steve (laughs) really that's that's what you got out of it yeah um, recovery too was pretty much um, figuring out all of the ways to get around actually recovering Okay, well, then things definitely started to change. Um, Because now the recoveries become voluntary. So the uh, things I learned, the education, the things I started to admit and grow also started to expand. Um, Although at an amazingly slow pace, yeah. Uh, If there's anything that I could hope to... uh, to impart, it would be uh, to try and help shorten the time it takes somebody to actually accept the gift of sobriety. Because let me tell you, I have done personal extensive research in avoiding it for 22 years. And I can tell you, it doesn't work any other way except the way that it's worked for millions and millions of people over 80 plus years which was the way it's written. 
Well, no, I'm, I thought nothing that old could still be actually valid and pertinent in today's society, right? No, that would be wrong. It's absolutely the correct way to go about it. Um, I've been to a, a, a long program um, in, in Hawaii, uh, a year-long program, um, really taken a lot of the steps to ensure an ongoing life in sobriety. And even at those, I have managed to um, have a slip, have a, have a fall, um, fall flat on my face, if you will, and have to get back up and start all over again. Well, this time, why is this time so much different? There would be two factors. For one, I have finally became willing to accept the fact that my not only was I an alcoholic and that my life had become unmanageable, but I accepted both of them at the same time. You know, I, again, tried to just do as much as I needed to to be able to have everybody think I was okay and then start drinking again because, of course, I'd be able to manage it. This time, nope, never was. All the excuses, all the reasons, all of my playing the victim, all of my blaming everyone else, it all came to an end, finally. And I started to really accept, really accept the things. I never had realized that 22 years ago when I first came into the rooms of AA, the tools to recovery were laid at my feet, right in front of me. There they were. And I said, okay, there's something down there by my feet. And then I looked away and, and ignored them. No, I don't need those. I can do this myself. Uh, those tools stayed there while I tripped over them, uh, walked around them, kicked them out of the way before I actually realized what those were sitting there. And that's what became so clear um, here in this particular current recovery is that it's, I picked one of them up and I looked at it. And I, I say it in threes because these are the three things that mattered so much to me. The first one was the first step. I was like, I admit that I am an alcoholic and that my life has become unmanageable. Both things at the same time. And even more importantly, I'm an alcoholic and I accept and realize that I am going to be an alcoholic for the rest of my life. Well, that puts a whole different perspective on it. At least it did for me. Now I know that this is something I need to be mindful and vigilant of the rest of my life. Okay, that has actually lifts a weight off of my shoulders. I don't have to have the anxiety, the stress, the worry, the wonder about how to deal with this. This is how long you're going to have it. So you know, get your life in order and start enjoying it again. Um, the, uh, one of the others um, was the serenity prayer for me, probably the, the biggest one. And uh, that I use all the time now. It was just something I had to say at the beginning and the end of a meeting, you know, because, well, we can't get going if I don't say this now, and uh, we can't end if I don't say it at the end. It's like, 
what were the words I'm using? What were the words? Much like, hi, I'm Steve and I'm an alcoholic. No, I I had to say that before I could share. And if I didn't share, well, I couldn't get out of the meeting and go on. No, this was so important. Uh, The serenity prayer, again, it takes the weight off of your shoulders, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, because I accept the things I can't change. Oh, well, that's way easier than beating my head against the wall trying to. Um, you know, the, the courage to change the things I can. Well, now that I know I ha- don't have to waste all my time and energy trying to th- change things I can't, I'm more than glad to take on the things I can. Besides, I feel better when I accomplish them. <laughs> um, uh, the wisdom to know the difference. Much like being an alcoholic and going to be one the rest of my life, that one will continue to present itself. The wisdom, yeah, growing in wisdom all the time. Um, and I don't expect to ab- ever actually get there and say, oh, I have wisdom now. No, no. It'll be some – that's ongoing. That's what keeps me in sobriety. It's been an amazing journey, and accepting these things helps so much. The, th- the third thing that I wonder and I know comes from the, um, comes from the groups is – the acceptance of a higher power. I believe I was an atheist for much of my life until I actually realized that, no, I believed in something, so I was only agnostic. Um, with that, I searched for and I wanted proof of the existence of something I, that I, I felt I needed to have a name for. Come to find out, I didn't need to have a name for it. All I had to do was accept that there is a higher power and said of your understanding the god of your own understanding that didn't mean i actually had to understand it was just my own understanding oh good well here's more stress and weight and anxiety lifted off the shoulders this is a really good trend um i've i found my proof the proof i'd been hoping existed for all of my life in the rooms of AA. Um, I gave my higher power its own name. Um, I call it IT. I-T, capital I-T, out of respect, it's a proper name. You know? um, and that was because I don't know if it's a man, a woman. I don't think it has a throne and a white beard. And I don't know whether it's uh, above or below. I, I don't know any of that. Maybe some of you do, and congratulations if that, that's the case, but I, I still don't. So my higher power is it for me. And first I realized that I had found out where it resided. It resided in the rooms of AA. Well, now that meant I had its actual physical address. I could go and visit it anytime I wanted to. And I did a lot of that, and I still do. Um, <laughs> I then there were there were questions there there were things I didn't know I needed answers to and I got all of those through the rooms of AA through the members of AA the people saying exactly what I needed to hear at exactly the right time having no way to know that's exactly what I needed to hear or that was the burning question in my head that was answered that day there is no explanation 
for that happening, especially to somebody with my past beliefs, than the existence and proof of a higher power. Oh, wow. I could now um, commune with my higher power. I could speak to. I could talk to. Uh, and this was just more and more proof of it. All of this, when you start combining all of these elements, led to a period of personal growth and the maturity. <laughs> it's funny. I thought maturity was going to be painful because I kind of thought I was going to get to be a child the rest of my life. <laughs> um, the actual growing up learning things, becoming um, a better member of the human race and uh, is not painful. It wasn't painful. It's actually quite got a lot of enthusiasm for it. I'm, I'm quite motivated to continue the, the exponential growth spurt of personal, personal growth, personal enlightenment. Um, it doesn't have to be anything to do with an organized form of religion. It, it doesn't. It just has to be uh, the acceptance of you're not really running the show, Steve. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to think I was ready for this all by myself and no matter where I was in the world that it would have happened at this time. But that would be the arrogant ego coming on, roaring back into the room and wanting to take all of the oxygen. Now that I have to look at it as it – Somehow, through the guidance of the higher power, this happened in Dunedin, and it happened um, in large part because of the strength of the Dunedin Fellowship in AA. It is remarkable. Again, take my word on this one. I've been to AA all over the world. I've been in many fellowships, and, and they're all wonderful, and they're, they're all just so necessary. They really, really are. But for me... The Dunedin Fellowship was exactly what I needed times 10 at exactly the time I needed it. It's the most wonderful, um, wonderful, all-inclusive fellowship that I have seen in all of my travels and years here on Earth. And I'm, I'm not all that young, so. Folks, you're back with us again. Good to uh, have you listening with us this evening. Now, Chrissy and Tony... Tell me a little bit about your personal growth since your recovery journey. Do you, um, just with where Steve was talking a little bit there earlier on, yeah, what have you found that has changed for you through your through yourself? Like for me, I know people trust me more. I, I've managed to gain trust. I, I actually have a, a position at an AA meeting, which means I, I deal with money. I'm in a form of responsibility. I open a meeting every week, and that wouldn't have happened before. So I know that that, for me, is a part of my personal growth. Chrissy, what have you noticed about yourself? Oh, quite a bit, really. Um, like When I first came into recovery, I had to get out of the physical thing. That was a bit of took me a bit of time but since then I think I've become a lot more um, loving towards myself um, I've learned to become my own best friend to sort of I said it was sort of like I managed to wake up to who I was 
And even though I didn't like some of myself, I just I learnt to accept myself. So I guess self acceptance is a big thing. Nice. Um, also, um, yeah, that fact that now, like you, I hold a, um, a service position and I'm trusted with things that maybe I never would have been trusted with before. So I guess because like I found I went from from being reliable to being quite unreliable when I was in addiction, and um, now I sort of feel like I'm I'm getting back to who I was when I say I'll do something I do try and do it these days. Um, yeah, and the biggest thing is, of course, I've stopped drinking and have another totally different life. That's exciting. Lovely. That's really nice. That's really lovely to hear. Thank you. What about you, Tony? Oh, personal growth. That's an interesting question, Jet. Um, <laughs> oh, nothing oh, but interesting, Tony. <laughs> oh, I mean, um, there's another book um, out there, a wise book, and, um, and it's a story about a fellow who was asked to do something, and he goes, yeah, I'll do it, and then he takes off on a boat and um, runs away, and then a fish eats him for a few days, and he gets a second chance at doing the right thing and uh, that really resonated with me and I think that that's kind of the um, I've literally jumped on a boat and ran away yes <laughs> I think uh, the personal growth um, I, I, I see for me is um, uh, is standing my ground I've had to stand my ground I've had to you know like Chrissy was saying accept the good and the bad in me and uh, to realise it's not all good and it's not all bad, you know. Um, and, um, you know, um, my best friend, the painkiller, was getting me through life um, mm. um, until such time it turned on me. Um, and it turned on me very early in the piece, it's just that I didn't recognise it. So um, I feel these days that I'm I'm standing my ground more. I, I'm able to, you know, the, the breeze will not blow me over like it used to. Um, um, you know, fear does not get me the same as it used to, you know. Um, you know, I've got days and bad days, just like everybody else in the human race. Um, but I certainly know that um, not drinking is certainly, um, it's better to not need those painkillers. Yeah, life is, you know, it's certainly been a, a journey, yeah. Yeah, nice. That's lovely, thank you. Well, folks, it's been a lovely evening with you this evening, and um, I've enjoyed chatting to you too. It's been fun and having a wee, wee laugh and a wee dance in the studio. It's always good for the soul, I think. Tony, would you like to uh, hit us off with some closing acknowledgements this evening, please? Yeah, sure. Um, that's not a problem at all. Um, just uh, reminding our listeners that if you want to drink, uh, that's your business. But if you want to stop, you know, we can help with that. So, yeah, yeah, we certainly can. I yeah. think all three of us are testament to that sitting in this room. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. And if you want to um, know the phone number, it is 0800 AA Works or 0800 229 6757. So if you just want to ring up about AA, chat to somebody, if you think you've got a problem, there'll be somebody to answer your call. The AA Otago Intergroup web address is aaotago.org.nz, all in lowercase. 
if you want to post anything to AAO Targo Intergroup, the address is PO Box 6115 Dunedin North, Dunedin 9059. And the New Zealand website is aa.org.nz, all in lowercase. It's wonderful. Thank you, Chrissy. And I just wanted to say thank you for the email that we did receive from our listener this uh, recently, thanking us for the show and acknowledging that you, uh, I believe, sent back some correspondence, Tony. I did. Keep them coming, folks. Yeah, it's keep them coming. It's an avalanche in the, uh, in the studio uh, mailroom. <laughs> keep them coming. Yeah, we, we do. We pull Tony out from underneath the, the pile of uh, stuff that comes in and we grab his big toe and out he comes. Yeah, if I'm naughty, I mm. get to stand under the chute. <laughs> it's usually bruises. Yep, that's us. Uh, thank you so much for being part of this show this evening, folks. And <laughs> until next time, we are going to uh, go with a, a little bit of Rag and Bone Man and Pink. Now, this is a song I heard the other day, Anywhere Away From Here. And while it drew, oh, I pulled up my heartstrings a little bit, I thought, golly gosh, what a moving song. So I'm going to share that with you today. Enjoy, folks, and we'll see you next time. Wild and running, fearless, this is burning bright. We knew nothing was out of sight. Out of mind before we ever learn the fear of being born, before we ever were afraid of the unknown. When the lights go up, I don't think I told you, I don't think I told you. Sometimes I close my eyes and dream I'm somewhere Anywhere away from here Anywhere away from here Anywhere away from here We sold our souls and we lost control with more doubt than hope Glass half empty And discontented From growing old Through all the failed attempts At trying to belong I overthink the obvious When I'm alone But when the light Sometimes I close
the lights go up I don't think I told you I don't think I told you That I feel out of place Pull me underground Don't know if you know too. Sometimes I close my eyes And dream I'm somewhere else Anywhere away from here Anywhere away from here Anywhere away from here This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.